series uh, called Back to the Basics. We're digging into the Ten Commandments, going back to this very foundational teaching. 3,000 years ago, God provides these Ten Commands to Moses on a mountainside. He says, this is what I want my people to know. These are my expectations. These are the things that are most important to me. Uh, and so we've been going over these every Sunday and actually reciting the 10, reading the 10 out at the beginning of the message because we know many of us don't know all this. We may sort of vaguely have a concept, but we want to hide this in our hearts. We want to, I mean, if these are God's expectations, if this is what God asks of us, we want to be able to live up to it. So if you would join me and stand, we're going to read these out loud together as we get started this morning. Commandment one says, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make idols. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And number 10, you shall not covet. Father God, we come to you again, and we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that this life is not a guessing game of hoping we can please you, of hoping we can do what you ask, God, but you make it very clear what your expectations are for us. And so, God, as we approach these commands today, specifically as we pivot from these vertical commands about our relationship with you to these horizontal commands about our relationship with others, God, we ask that you would fill us with your love. God, the only way we can love others is because of the love you have for us, because you've modeled it and you've placed your heart inside of us, God. So we ask that you would just increase our capacity to love one another, God, specifically as we talk today about mother and father, this man, pivotal, pivotal relationship that we all have. God, we know that many of us have very complicated relationships with our parents. God, many of us have, have lost a parent or both parents. Many of us feel neglected by a parent or both parents. Many of us have very challenging relationships. So God, I pray that you would heal what needs to be healed. God, that you would break bitterness where bitterness needs to be broken. God, that you would provide wisdom and, and vision for a new future in these relationships where we need that. God, whatever you need to do in our lives when it comes to these relationships with our parents. We pray that today you would meet people at the point of their need, God, that you would provide us with a better future in these relationships. And we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen, amen. amen. You can grab a seat. As we kicked this thing off four weeks ago, we said we want to view these classic old Ten Commandments, right? This, this kind of defining piece of the Old Testament, we want to view these through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of Jesus, that Jesus did not come to invalidate these commands, but he came to inform these commands, to give us a better understanding of what God was asking for. And so we look to Jesus, to his example, to his teaching, to what he's done for us on the cross, to understand what these commands mean for us Today, So we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 22 as we look at this fifth commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is having a, a conversation. In fact, he's just finished a conversation 
with a group called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were this group of religious leaders who did not believe in a resurrection. They did not believe in eternal life. And Jesus has essentially shut them down. He has outdebated them. You ever got in an argument with God, right? The Sadducees got in an argument with God and they lost. And everybody knew that they lost. And so in this context, verse 34, it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So the Pharisees are this other group of religious leaders that do believe in a resurrection, but they did not believe in Jesus. One of them, verse 35, says an expert in the law. So when you're an expert of the experts, right, like this was their champion. This was the one who knew the most out of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees could quote scripture frontwards and backwards. Uh, It says one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, when he's asking this, he's not asking for the greatest of the 10. He's asking for the greatest of like the 700. Uh, the law is filled with commands, depending on how you rank them, somewhere between 600 and 700. Is this one command or two? Some of it's a little fuzzy. Uh, so people have different numbers. But, but there's a lot of commands in the Old Testament, right? And so the teacher says, which one is the most important? And what's he trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to invalidate some by elevating others to where he can say, well, you don't believe in the law, and now I can invalidate Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to trap him. He's trying to trick him. Uh, and so Jesus, verse 37 says, replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So he says, what's the most important thing? The most important thing is not what you do. The most important thing is who you love. Right, This thing isn't about behavior modification. This thing isn't just about living a good life. This thing is about having a relationship, a passion, a love, a connection with the one who made us. The reason why God sent Jesus was to restore relationship between us and him. That that we could have relationship once again with God. So Jesus says the most important thing you can do is to love God. With all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all, your, all that you got, right? I want you to love me. But he says, and then the second one is like it. He says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. He, he has this implication that I know you love yourself. I know there's some desire for yourself in you, and that's okay, but I want you to love others just as much as you love you. I don't want you to have this mentality of looking out for number one. And so Jesus says, all the law... All the prophets are contained in these two commands. Everything in the Old Testament, I can sum up for you in these two statements. I want you to love God vertically. I want you to love others horizontally. I want you to do these things. Every command is simply God giving us detail on how to do that. So in the Ten Commandments, we get four details on how to love God. Six details on how to love others, right? And the the rest of the Old Testament provides other details and other instruction and other information on how to do these two things. When we focus on living our lives in such a way that we can obey these commandments, then we'll be showing God in the world where our priorities truly lie. Loving God and loving people. God wants our love. He wants our devotion. He wants our worship. But he also cares how we treat others. This is For those of us who are parents, this makes a lot of sense, right? If you're a parent, it's really hard for somebody to tell you that they love you and yet they hate hate your kid, right? When somebody mistreats your kid, it doesn't matter if they say that they love you, they don't love you. Because you may know your kid's flaws, you may know your kid's imperfections, all of us probably intimately know what's wrong with our children, right? But in the midst of that, we love them. And so God 
loves that boss that you hate, right? He loves that coworker you can't stand. He loves that person in front of you in line at Kroger who can't figure out how to go through the line quickly and efficiently when you're trying to get out of line, right? That person that gets on your nerves, that grates on you, that person that you're not looking forward to seeing at Thanksgiving dinner, God sent Jesus to die for that person. And so he says, if you love me, if you're going to walk out the first command and love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, then you're going to love each other because I made that person in my image. Because I sent my son to die for them. Because that person is so massively important to me. And so he says, if you're going to love me, you better love others. God demonstrates for us his desire for us to love others through these next six commandments. We'll start today in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And it says this, it says, honor, everybody say honor. Honor your father and your mother. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say honor your parents. He makes it specific. I want you to honor mom, and I want you to honor dad. And for us, in our generation, our world is a little more complicated than it was 3,000 years ago. Your father and your mother might mean your step-parent, it might mean your foster parents. It might mean a surrogate parent, right? It may be somebody who's a, who's a spiritual parent in that role. For many of us, the, the, the classic biological mother and father growing up in that home, unfortunately, hasn't been provided for us. And, and so I, I think you can insert whoever it is that fills that role in your life. That's who God's calling you to honor. Now, I think the biological parent certainly is, is worthy of that. And that's important, but, but I think it's less about biology and more about relationship, if that makes sense. Um, he says, honor your father and your mother. And then he says, so that you may live long in the land your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. It's this implied promise that the way that I love my parents, the way that I honor my parents, is actually going to impact how long that I live. And that never made sense to me until I remembered every time my dad said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Right? And so if I wanted to live long, I'm just kidding, my dad wasn't actually going to kill me, but he didn't say those words. Uh, we, there, there's this thing that God's going to bless us with longer life if we learn how to honor our father and mother. That means this is kind of a big deal, right? Like if you, if I, if you provide something that says you're going to live longer, how long did people search for the fountain of youth? How much did they sacrifice to try to find something just to grab a little more life? God says, I've got something that's going to give you more life. Honor your father and your mother. So what I want to do today is I want to share with you five things to know about the fifth commandment. Some of these may be obvious. Some of these may you have, may have never considered before. Uh, but if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. I believe that these will bless you and empower you to walk out this commandment. The first one is this. How we act in the home, excuse me, how we act in the world starts in the home. How we act in the world starts in the home. As God makes this, this great pivot from teaching us how to love him to teaching us how to love others, he's going to get to the place where he talks about loving everybody, right? I don't want you to lie to anybody. I don't want you to kill anybody. I don't want you to covet what your neighbor has. He's going to get to this stuff that applies in all directions, but he starts where the rubber meets the road, Right? He starts with these relationships in the home, these relationships that are most meaningful, most impactful in our life, and many times for us, the relationships that are most difficult and most complicated. And he says, before you can worry about loving everybody else out there, 
Let's, let's start with the nitty-gritty. Let's start with the, the one right smack in front of your face. Isn't it interesting that we live in a generation thousands of years later where we have the study of psychology. We've got this ability to understand the human mind and the human emotions and the way that God has wired us in ways they had no clue about 3,000 years ago. And what has modern psychology discovered in the last few generations? They've discovered that almost every human interaction in some way stems back to the way that we relate to mom and dad. Right? We get mom issues and dad issues and Oedipus complexes and Electra complexes and all this stuff in psychology talks about, man, the thing that fleshes out in your marriage, the thing that's happening in your parenting, the thing that's going on at work, it's not really about the thing that's going on at work. It's about your relationship with your dad. See, God understood that. From the very beginning, he understood that the way we live in the world, the way we reflect him, the way we glorify him, if we're called to love our neighbor as ourself, it's going to start with getting it right when it comes to mom and dad. So everything begins in the home. Now, that's not to say if you have a bad relationship with mom and dad that God can't redeem or or that there's not a way for you to be a good husband or a good wife. It's not to say that if that relationship has gone askew because we serve a God of redemption and we serve a God who moves and a God who, who steps into broken situations and brings new life. But it is to say this, every one of us in this room is a product of our relationship with our mother and our father in some way. Most of us in pretty significant ways. So God says before we're going to talk about loving them, let's talk about loving the person that lives in your own home or the person that you grow up in their home. God is a God of family. It's woven throughout scripture. From the very beginning, we discover in the human story, day six, God creates Adam. And after having created all planets and stars and animals and water and mountains and all the amazingness that we talked about last week, right, is the Sabbath that God is creator. God speaks all this into existence. He creates Adam with his hands, builds him out of the dirt. He breathes the breath of life into him. And then he says something crazy. He says, it's not good. Up until that point, everything God created, he said, this is good. He pronounced it as good. He pronounced it as good. But he creates Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. See, from the very beginning, God designed us and wired us for human relationship, for family relationship. And so he says, it's not good for Adam to not have a family. I need to create a helper suitable for him. And he creates Eve and he takes her out of his rib, right? And so we see at the very beginning God's design for family, the importance he places on the role of family. And it's woven throughout everything. God's relationship to us in the New Testament is the God of adoption. The father who chooses to grab us who had no spiritual father, who had no spiritual mother. And he brings us into his family and says, you're mine. And over and over and over again, Scripture affirms for us God's priority on family. Here we find six commands about how to treat others, but it starts with the command about the family. God wants the way we live to reflect him, and he understands that how we relate to our parents will impact how we relate to everyone else. So he starts with the command on our mom 
and our dad. Second thing you need to know about this command is this command is not just for kids. It's not just for kids. Now, I grew up in church. Uh, I've been in church my whole life. I've been to Sunday school and children's church and VBS and every kid's program, and I'm grateful for everything I got out of that. I'm so grateful for the people right now in Kid City who are pouring into my kids, who, who are loving on my kids. Uh, but one thing I can absolutely remember from growing up in church is they loved the fifth commandment. <laughs> Right? When you're a kid, they want to make sure you know to honor your father and your mother. This one was taught a little more vigorously, with a little more excitement and a little more passion. We often see this as a command for children. And yet when God gave it, he was not speaking specifically to kids. He did not address this specifically to kids. It doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to children. It absolutely applies to children. But it applies to all of us, to Everyone. In fact, in uh, what, what we see is our culture, we view things through the, uh, the lens of this Western culture where we have this thing we call the nuclear family. That this idea of mom and dad and, and however many children and the kids grow up and they get to 18 or they get to 22 or whatever point and we give them that gentle nudge out of the nest, right? And then they go off and they live their life and they may move away. I did. My wife did. In fact, many of us in this room have, don't live that close to our parents. And one of the things I, I love about our church is we're a church full of transplants. We're a church full of people who don't have family in the area. And so we get to be one another's family. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's an awesome thing. That's not something that really existed 3,000 years ago, though. Back then, people lived near their parents their entire lives. They had the extended family where many times they would actually live with many generations in the same home. And so as God is communicating to them, it says, honor your father and your mother, there's no implication there of until you move out. Because that just wasn't a thing. That, that wasn't a goal. That wasn't part of the plan. People lived near mom and dad. They shared in the family business. They came up and, and did what their parents did. It's just the way things worked. And so when he said, honor your father and your mother, he was talking about all the way through life. All the way until it's over. By the way, think about who this command was given to. Think about the children of Israel. They've just been rescued from Egypt. They've just come across the Red Sea. They're on their way to the promised land. But what's going to happen when they get there? They're going to get to the promised land. And the leaders, the elders, the people who are running the nation are going to get there. And they're going to say, we can't go. The enemy is too great. The enemy is too strong. We're going to be crushed like grasshoppers. We're going to be crushed like grapes. We can't do this. And so what does God do in response to their unbelief? He rejects the generation. He says, you're going to die out in the wilderness. You're going to wander for 40 years, and I'm waiting until all of you are gone, until the next generation rises up, and I'm going to send them in to fulfill your destiny because of your lack of faith. It's to those kids that they inherit the command, honor your father and your mother. Why? Because God knew it was going to be really easy for them to be bitter at mom and dad for their rejection of what God wanted them to do. It was going to be really easy for them to be prideful and to think that they somehow had things better spiritually than mom and dad did. And so God gives them this command before they start seeing a generation fall apart, before they start seeing the misery of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He says, I want you to know I'm expecting you to honor your father and your mother. I'll deal with your father and your mother's sin. I'll deal with your father and your mother's unbelief. That's my job. But your job is to honor them. 
Don't you think just because I've put this on them that that gives you some sort of get out of honor free card? And so that generation is the one who inherits the command to honor their father and mother. And he says, if you do, it'll go well for you and you will live long in the land. In other words, they're not going to live long, but I want you to. And so the command to honor was not just for kids, and it wasn't just for that moment. It was for a future season that God knew that there was going to be a great opportunity for them to dishonor their parents and to have great feelings of dishonor towards them. The third thing I want you to see is this. There's a difference between honor and obedience. There's a difference between honor and obedience. The, the, these words seem sort of similar, and we can kind of use them interchangeably. We know that kids are supposed to do both right. They're supposed to honor their parents and obey their parents, but, but biblically, these things have very different meanings and very different significances. In Ephesians chapter 6, we actually do find the command for children to obey their parents. And the context here, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking again about Family relationships, husband and wife at the end of Ephesians 5. Children and parents as we begin Ephesians 6. And in Ephesians 6 verse 1 it says this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then he calls back to Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So there's this implication here. He says, it's going to go well with you. Your life's going to be blessed. It's going to be favored if you honor your father and your mother. But he says specifically, children obey your parents. So honor your father and mother, not directed specifically to children. Obey your father and your mother, specifically directed to children. There's a difference here in what is being asked of one another. So what's the difference between honor and obedience? Honor is about attitude. Obedience is about action. Honor is about my heart. Obedience is about what I do. So it is possible for me to obey my parents while not honoring them. It is also possible for me to honor my parents without obeying them. At this season in life, 39 years old, almost 40, live 10 hours away, 8 hours away from my parents, I don't have to obey my parents. If mom and dad tell me, you know, I need to get up at a certain time or go to bed at a certain time or not eat a certain thing, I can take that under advisement. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, mom and dad, but I'm, I'm going to do what I feel like I need to do, right? I'm not called to obey my parents at this point. If you're 39 and you're still obeying mom and dad, you probably need to work to move out, right? Like, you, you need to get to that place. Like, it's not, not necessarily the best thing at this point, uh, so I can obey them without honoring them. I can honor them without obeying them because honor is about the heart. So if my parents tell me to do something, what's my attitude towards them? How am I responding to them if I decide, you know what, this isn't the best thing for me. This isn't the best thing for my family. I'm not under obligation to obey, but I am still under obligation to honor. Best way I can illustrate this is to go back to my childhood, right? Uh, you can take a trip back with me to 6907 25th Avenue, Southwest Seattle, Washington. <laughs> where I grew up. And uh, one, one thing, my, my parents were, were very strict, very disciplinary, and they had very, very high expectations on us. Crazy things like cleaning our room, right? Tyrants, awful people. Just kidding. Parents were great. Uh, but, but they had rules. Uh, and there were often times where, you know, I was expected to clean my room, and I didn't clean my room. And so here I am in the middle of a video game or the middle of a game of basketball or the middle of whatever. And it's like, you need to come clean your room right now. And I understood the consequences if I did not obey. 
I was going to get spanked. Uh, I was going to get grounded. I was going to lose access to something I enjoyed, right? And so because I understood the consequences, I would choose to obey. I would very grudgingly go clean my room or or go wash the dishes or whatever it was they were asking me to do that I didn't want to do. But I didn't do it with a heart of honor. In fact, here's what I did while I was obeying their instructions and getting whatever chore done I was supposed to do. I was plotting my escape, very vividly and in very great detail and many, many more times than once, I promise you, I would be cleaning my room and planning the note I was going to write about how I ran away and how it was their fault, about how they've taken me for granted for too long and the rules were far too strict and they just didn't appreciate what they had in Troy David Souten. Uh, and, and so I, I'm plotting the details. Here's the door I'm going to go out. Here's when I'm going to do it. Uh, and here's how they're going to learn what they're missing out on with me, right? Now, whether because of wisdom or fear, I never actually executed any of those plans. I never ran away from home, but I had many, many plans to do so. You see, I obeyed what they were asking me to do, but I did not honor the role in my life. You can walk in obedience while walking in dishonor. And my heart to them in that moment was not a heart of honoring my father and my mother. My heart towards them was a heart of dishonor. And so God's word commands for me for a season while I live under their roof, while I live under their provision, while I live under their protection, that I'm called to obey my parents, but I'm called to honor them, not for a season. In fact, I think the command to honor your father and your mother doesn't even end when father and mother are dead. I think the command to honor your father and your mother is just a command to honor your father and your mother. That, that it just is there. As long as I'm alive, I'm called to walk in honor towards my father and mother. That doesn't mean that there's not sometimes to confront some things that your parents have done wrong or some things that have hurt you. It doesn't mean there's not sometimes to put some boundaries up between you and your parents to protect your kids or to protect the new family that God's blessed you with, right? I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm saying while you do those things, keep a heart of honor towards mom and dad. I love you and I want what's best for you, mom and dad. In fact, I want what's best for our relationship with you. And so I'm going to set these things up. We're going to deal with these issues. We're going to wrestle with this pain that you've caused. But I'm doing it because I want a healthy relationship with you. I want a better result with you. Not because I want to twist the knife. Not because I want to hurt you. Not because I want revenge for the way that you hurt me, right? It's about the heart When you confront those things and you deal with those things, I'm called to honor my father and my mother. There's a difference between honor and obedience. Um, Number four thing we need to know from this command is that honor is heavy. It's heavy. The Hebrew word here for honor your father and mother is the word kabod. Everybody say kabod. Kabod literally means heavy or weighty. It's the same word that hundreds of times in the Old Testament is translated when talking about God as glory. The glory of God, the presence of God, that we are called to bring kabod, bring glory to God. There's a weight to it. In fact, in the Old Testament, God's presence actually had a physical weight. Solomon builds the temple where they're going to, to house the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to build the, the Holy of Holies, and they hold this ceremony to dedicate the temple. And God's presence shows up, and his presence shows up so strong, the weight, the kabod of his glory is so heavy that the priests can't even perform their functions. 
There's weight to the glory of God. What, what is the implication for us when we talk about our parents? This is a weighty issue. Honoring them is heavy. In other words, it's significant. It matters. He starts with a command that this is not just some light command. This is not just some kitty command. You need to honor your mommy and daddy. This, this is a significant command with significant weight. If we're going to learn how to love our neighbor, it starts here. And God puts great weight, great significance, great power on honoring our parents. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That, that, that we're called to bring him glory. We're called to bring him kabod, to bring him honor. And, and he starts with this very basic thing, right? Whether you eat or drink. For most of us, the answer is yes, Right? You probably know what you're doing for lunch today. You probably know where you're going or who you're going to lunch with. Or if you don't, you're thinking about it. You're like, I wish he'd shut up so we could go eat, right? This is this thing we all do every day. It's the most basic thing, the most simple thing, the most human thing that we do. All of us eat and all of us drink. And God says, even when you do that, I want you doing it for my glory. How do I eat or drink for the glory of God? Because it's about my heart. Honor and glory is about my heart. It's my desire to bring him honor. It's my desire to bring him glory. Now, when you go to, to lunch, wherever you're going to Buffalo Wild Wings today, or wherever you're going to have lunch, you're going to be out there thinking, how am I going to bring honor and glory to God? And now we know the heaviness comes from the food, right? Like, that's another part anyway. Uh, talking about going into the holidays. Uh, when the Bible tells us to honor our parents, what that means is you live your life in such a way that it reflects well on your parents. In fact, yesterday, my, my wife had posted something on Facebook, and Miss Teresa, one of our elders, uh, commented on it, and my mom commented on it. And I don't even know how it got there, but somehow, Miss Teresa tells my mom, thank you for raising such an amazing son. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know me that well, Teresa, or you wouldn't say that, but thank you, right? But what is that? That's honor to my parents. That, that I've lived in such a way that somebody says, man, you did a good job, right? That, that's my heart. I want people to look at the way I live, at the way that I love God and say, man, you were raised right. Because my parents raised me to know Jesus. Were they perfect? No, I'm not a perfect parent either. But I'm grateful that they raised me in the faith. I'm grateful they introduced me to my Lord and Savior. I'm grateful they modeled these things and taught me these things. And, man, if somebody sees that and actually tells my mom, you did a good job, man, that's honor. And that's awesome. I'm grateful for that. So thank you, Miss Teresa, for giving me a sermon illustration yesterday. I appreciate you. Fifth thing is this. The fifth commandment contains great implications for us as parents. Now, I know not everybody in this room are parents or that not everyone in this room will, will one day be parents, but it's the majority. So I'm, I'm going to talk to the majority for a few minutes. If you're not a parent and you don't desire to be a parent or God hasn't opened that door and you're not going to be one, please just, just bear with us for, for a couple of minutes. But I do believe there's implications here for those of us who raise kids. If children are to honor their parents and obey this commandment, then us as parents, we have a responsibility to raise our kids in the faith. And I am very, very far from a perfect parent. In fact, the reason why my mom and Miss Teresa were commenting yesterday is my wife had shared a story on Facebook of something that happened at the dinner table last night. 
So we sat down to dinner, and at some point in time, my, my, my wife Melody tells our daughter Alexa, who's four years old, Alexia, I love you. And Alexia goes, I love you too, mommy. And she is a mama's girl, right? She wants to be just like mom. She studies her mom. She does things like her mom. She is all about her mom. And so I popped up, of course, I love you too, Lexi. And she looks me dead in the eye and goes, I don't love you, dad. Just, just, just straight face, right? And, and my, my loving wife comes to my defense, and she gets on Lexi. Lexi, that is not nice. You don't talk to your dad like that. You love your dad. You know you do. Tell him you love him. And she goes, but it's fun when he makes a sad face. So my four-year-old has learned how to troll me already. So be praying for me. Uh, it's going to be a long, long 18 years. Uh, raising this daughter. And I'm amazed by her. I love her. I'm fascinated by her. I understand zero about her. Uh, My son Judah, unfortunately, poor kid, is me made over in every way, physically, emotionally, relationally. It's like everything I got, he got it on steroids, the poor kid. And and so I understand everything about him way more than I want to. I apologize to him all the time. I'm like, I'm so sorry because I see so much of me in him. Lexi, I see zero. Uh, like, if I didn't know if I wasn't there, I'd believe this was somebody else's kid, right? She, she has nothing of me, and so she fascinates me. I'm grateful for the opportunity, and I feel the weight of raising her. I am blessed with this responsibility. It's something that I treasure. It's something that I'm grateful for. And, and see, if children are to honor their parents and obey this commandment, it's up to us as parents to raise them in the faith. And this is one area I don't think we do very well in America. In fact, I think we can look very easily to certain generations and see there's been a disconnect. There, there, there's people right now and generations right now that are further from God probably than than many generations in the past have been, and it's because you can look back at a generation and see they didn't pass this on well. This wasn't passed down well. They may have talked about God, but they didn't love God. They didn't honor God. Their heart was not towards God, and their kids saw that hypocrisy and said, I don't want anything to do with this, and so they ran from it, and so they're not serving God today because we don't pass this on well. You see, passing it on is not just about rules and regulations. It's about giving them something that they can see our heart. The mom's heart is for Jesus. The dad's heart is for God. And it's a whole lot harder to have our heart right than it is to just teach the right rules and regulations. And in America, we haven't done this well. And a whole lot of people want nothing to do with mom and dad's religion, because that's all it is. It's religion. It's rules, but there's no fruit in it. There's no life in it. There's no future in it, and they don't see it, because they've seen up close, and they've seen a really bad example. So when God gives the fifth commandment, it contains inside of it an implication that it's our job to pass this down to our kids. Who's going to teach my kids to honor their father and their mother? I am. Who's going to teach my kids to obey mom and dad? I am. Why is that so important? Because if they can't learn to honor and obey mom and dad, they'll never learn to honor and obey their heavenly father. If they can't learn to obey mom and dad, they'll never learn to obey God. Now, when I say never, I'm overstating that because we serve a God of grace and a God of redemption. And sometimes God's able to to, to rope people in despite the fact they had terrible examples. And I'm grateful for that. And I don't leave that 
I don't forget that possibility, but I also know if we are saved, if we're part of the family of God, part of God's expectation for us is to pass this down to our kids. Here's the mistake I see a lot of people make in this generation, probably because there's a generation that was forced into so much. You were made to go to church. You were required to do these things towards God, and and you felt repulsed by that because your parents didn't live it out because their heart, their honor wasn't there to God, and you're like, I don't want to do that to my kids. And so we say things like, well, I'm just going to let my kids decide for themselves. I'm just going to let them, you know, when they want to go to church, we'll bring them to church, and when they don't want to go, that's okay. And I understand the heart and what you're trying to do, but, but, but can I warn you, mom and dad? I think there's this misidea that our kids are like this blank slate, and they're going to fill that up with whatever they want to fill it up with, and they're going to pursue whatever they want to pursue. But your kid isn't a blank slate. Your kid's a dry sponge. And if you don't give them something to suck up, if you don't give them something to grab a hold of, they're going to find something else to grab. And so if you don't point them in the right direction, if you don't pass this stuff down to them, somebody else is going to pass something. They're going to grab a hold of something. That dry sponge is going to find some moisture somewhere. And as parents, if we don't give them the right stuff, if we don't model for them what it means to truly honor God, to truly love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, if we don't teach them this and put it into them, they're going to find something somewhere else. Well, I'm I'm not going to make my kids go to church. I don't want to make it just about church because it's not just about church, but it's a really easy way to illustrate this because it's one of the things we do. None of us would ever say, I'm not going to make my kid go to the dentist. She's going to decide for herself if she cares about her teeth one day. Right? He's going to decide for himself if he wants to do homework. I'm not going to make him do that. There probably are parents out there like that, but it's called failure. It's called neglect. Right? It's called falling down on the job. We've been given a responsibility. And sometimes that means we got to be the bad guy. Sometimes that means we got to expect some things out of our kids that they don't want to do. It's why my parents sent me into that bedroom to clean my room when my heart was far from them. Right? Because they loved me enough to have some standards, to have some rules, to have some things that they were going to teach me. And as you're doing that, and you are doing that, man, the spiritual's got to be a piece of that puzzle. Don't feel like requiring your kids to do spiritual things is going to push them from God. As long as they see the love for God in you. Now, see, if you require them to do spiritual things and you're not going to partake, or you're only doing them to go through the motions, but your heart isn't really in it, they'll see right through that. They'll smell that hypocrisy a mile away. But if you'll give your heart to God... If you'll desire the kabod, the glory of God to be revealed and reflected in your life, your kids are going to be attracted to that and inspired by that. Not in every moment, not every day, but ultimately you're going to create a path for them to follow. Something for them to chase after. In Ephesians 6, we already read the Apostle Paul's directions for children to obey their parents and His callback from Exodus that we must honor our parents. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 4, he goes on to say this. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. See, we're called to point our kids in the right direction, not just because if we don't, they're going to go in a different direction. 
But we got to point our kids in the right direction because God's specifically asking us to do it. He's specifically blessed us as parents with a son, a daughter, with children who is, Psalm 127 says they're a blessing. They're a heritage from the Lord. They're our legacy. They will outlive us, God willing. They'll go further than we can go. He says they're like an arrow. An arrow is something that I pull back and I launch out in the world to make an impact. And that's what my kids are. They're designed to make an impact. So it matters that I raise them up to honor me, to honor my wife, not because I'm this amazing person worthy of amazing honor. But if they don't understand how to honor their father who they can see, they're really going to struggle to honor their father who they can't. If I can't teach them to obey their mother who they can see, they're really going to have a hard time obeying a God who they can't see. So God's put on us as parents a responsibility to lead, to love, to discipline, to point them in the right direction and to launch them out into the world to make an impact. I'll close with this. The fifth command is the transitional command. It goes from the vertical about God to the horizontal about treating others, but it's both. Because the fifth command is there to help me honor my father and mother who I can't see. Why? So that I can learn to honor my father in heaven who I can't see. You see, the fifth command is about teaching me to have a heart of honor, to have a heart that, that walks in honor, that desires to reflect well on those whose name I wear. I wear David Souten's last name. I wear Jesus Christ's name as a Christian. And I'm called to bring honor, to bring glory, to bring kabod to his name. And so the fifth command for all of us, whether you're a parent or you're not a parent, whether your parents are alive or they're not alive, whether you got a great relationship with them or a difficult relationship with them or somewhere in between, or maybe it's like, I don't know, just ask me on tomorrow and it might look different, right? Maybe it's up and down. Maybe it's complicated. I get that. But whatever that looks like, the fifth command is there to empower us to better live out the first four commands, the vertical commands, the ultimate command to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, 